Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Summer calls to mind a trip to the beach, backyard barbecues, and curling up with a good book. For kids, research shows that reading over the summer is more than just fun. It's crucial for their success in the classroom and beyond. To help us understand why summer reading is so important, we'll talk with two experts this week. First, Jennifer Boren joins us. Jennifer is a library media specialist at Bailey Station Elementary School in Collierville, Tennessee. She'll tell us how she gets her students excited about reading over the summer. For the past several years, Bailey Station Elementary has participated in the Scholastic Summer Reading Challenge and seen great strides. Next, we'll talk with Ansel Sanders, the president and CEO of Public Education Partners in Greenville, South Carolina. He'll tell us about Make Summer Count, an initiative designed to eliminate summer reading loss through increased access to books and family engagement activities. Hi, Jennifer. We're delighted that you're talking with us today. First, I wanted to ask you to tell our listeners a little bit about your school and your community. Well, I am an elementary librarian. I'm in a school that serves pre-K. We have a special needs, typical peer pre-K program um, all the way up through fifth grade. And we currently have five elementary schools in my district. We all have the same set up as far as grade levels. Then we have two middle schools and we also have one high school. Next year, we're adding an elementary school and we're actually also going to move into a brand new high school, which will be the largest high school in the state of Tennessee in August. So, and that's a little bit about our district. My school is, I think we serve like 850 students. The community that I'm in is actually a suburb of Memphis. And in the past, it's kind of been a rural mostly predominantly white, upper middle class community. And the demographics of our community have changed a lot, especially over the last 10 to 20 years. Pretty much every culture you could think of is represented in my school and really in the community of Collierville. And I do have to say, in general, libraries right now, we're at a very interesting time in history because many school districts are either cutting library positions, um, cutting, you know, certified librarians, converting libraries into STEM labs. And then you have other districts that are really investing in their libraries. And I think that I am in a district where our superintendent, our staff at our central office, the libraries are very important to them. We have a regular book budget every year. We are the only district in all of Shelby County that has a library assistant. They very definitely want to hear our voice and it shows we're one of the best performing districts in the state of Tennessee. And so my school in particular, we were in the top 5% of schools last year in the whole state of Tennessee. So I'm just really grateful that I work in a place where people see the value and they understand what an impact it has on the academic success of our students. 
And that's so interesting. So we're mm-hmm. talking about summer reading. My first question is, how do you go about finding books for all of those children that enable them to see themselves represented? Well, I will tell you, in the past, it has been a challenge. Um, just because the publishing industry has not published literature for people of color, you know, for the longest time, anything published for African Americans really was centered around African American history, which is definitely important. But our students, they want to see themselves in the book they're reading. A good example of this is when I started back here at the elementary school five years ago, I had a student from India, and she came in the library and she said, Mrs. Boren, I want a book about India. So being the librarian I am, I took her over to the nonfiction section and geography and pointed to the books about India. And she looked at me and she said, no, I want a fun book about India. And literally, I did not have one book on my shelf to offer her that, you know, featured an an Indian character. Um, That was five years ago. And so much has changed in the publishing industry. So now, Thankfully, it's not as hard to find titles and books that appeal to all of the cultures that are represented in our community. Thankfully, that is really starting to change for our children, and it's a wonderful thing. Absolutely. I'm going to give a shameless shout out to uh, <laughs> The Serpent's Secret by Sayantani yes. Dasgupta. Yes. yes. <laughs> she, she was yes. on the podcast a few months ago with her daughter. Yes. yes. And in fact, two of the books on our summer reading list this year. One of them is Amina's Voice by Henna Khan, and that has been a really popular book in my library, and so we put that on our summer reading list. And also, our we have a state book award called the Volunteer State Book Award, and there is a book on the intermediate list, and I believe the middle school list also, called Save Me a Seat, which features an Indian character I think that even not just in my community, but statewide, nationwide, publishers, librarians, bookstores, we're all making an effort to really make sure everybody's represented in the, in the books that they're reading. Yes, everyone sees the importance of that. Mm-hmm. And generally, in terms of summer reading, why is that at the top of your list of something that matters so much to kids? Well, I think, first of all, A lot of times when we talk about summer reading, we kind of highlight the negative aspects of not reading over the summer. What, you know, when you talk to teachers, they're often talking to their kids about, well, that you're going to fall behind and you won't be performing as well. When we talk about summer reading with parents, we kind of come at summer reading from the negative aspect of not doing it. And I think um, sometimes we don't talk enough about the positive aspect. And in fact, we even have a term for it. It's called the summer slide. And so, you know, you ask any educator what that is, and we all know. But I think the reason why it is so important is because it really is a time for students to develop their reading identity We definitely at my school, you know, my students, I don't put limits on the books they can check out. We don't, you know, check out books by the color of dot on the label or the air level. Or So we have a lot of free choice in my library when my students come to check out. 
Uh, but students are throughout the school year. They have constraints. They have teacher selected texts and novel studies. And so I think summer reading is important because it's a time for them to branch out and try something new that maybe they've never read before. Um, you know, they can explore new genres, new authors, new formats without a fear of failure. And I think that that is important. Also, a lot of times students, as far as pleasure reading is concerned, and when you get into the upper grades in middle school and high school, they have so much that they're reading, they just don't have time for pleasure reading. And if they are reading something for pleasure, a lot of times they feel like they can't put it down if they don't like it. And so I always tell my kids, you know, summertime's a great way to check out new books. And also, if you don't like it, you can break up with it and move on to something <laughs> else that you do enjoy. So I think that's really, you know, important for students to know that they have that choice. And summertime's a really good time for that. Uh, for sure. I love the notion of a, of a reading identity. Could mm -hmm. you explain a little bit more what you mean by that? Well, I think that oftentimes our students get stuck in what I call the reading rut. So they find one kind of book and they like it. They find it easy to read. Most students want to read things that are easy to read. Most adults do too. Um, we don't often curl up with war and peace at the end of the day. <laughs> and so students kind of get stuck in a rut. I've got students who will say, I only read graphic novels or I only want to read historical fiction. And um, summertime is a good time to kind of break out of that and try some new things that maybe they wouldn't have read before. And I think it's easier for them to do that because they aren't being dictated, you know, what they need to read for class. There's not pressure to complete the book so they can do a book report or take a test or complete a project on the book. I guess that's what I mean by reading identity is just getting outside of themselves in the books that they're reading. How do you encourage the parents to get involved in the effort without, of course, having them put pressure on their children to read? <laughs> it's a tough yes. balance. I think that getting parents involved, first of all, is a process. Um, when I came to my school five years ago, there was no summer reading program. Uh, they used to sell these activity like work summer workbooks. You know, you the parents would buy those and. Um, but that was pretty much it as far as anything academic over the summer. And so it has taken a lot of work to get our parents to the point where now they just expect that we're doing summer reading. I mean, it's just a given for, for our school and our community, but it wasn't always that way. And uh, one of the most important things that I've done is – we have a monthly PTA meeting and it sounds so simple, but I always at the PTA meeting make some kind of presentation or update on what's happening in the library. What are we doing at our school for literacy? And so they have come to expect that. And that is a really good way for me to communicate with them. I think to get the parents involved, it really comes down to the school and the teachers communicating with the parents. If they don't know about it, they certainly aren't going to encourage their children to read over the summer. And sometimes they just really don't know why it's important. 
And how do you get books into the hands of kids? Are there a lot of uh, local libraries or do they come to school for books or bookstores? How does that work? Yes. So a couple of ways that we do that. Um, Every year, the children's librarian, she comes and visits all the schools and they do have their own independent summer reading program. But the beautiful thing about it is it works perfectly with a scholastic summer reading challenge. So, um, you know, students are counting minutes for scholastic and they do the same thing for the Collierville Birch Library. It's the name of our library. They do the same for them. So they really can participate both in both programs. So students definitely get a lot of books at the public library. Every year in the spring, we have a book fair and we try to highlight the books that are suggested for summer reading. And so we'll have multiple copies of those books for sale. And we make that a really big event. The theme this year for this classic summer reading challenge is a magical summer of reading, and it's the 20-year anniversary of Harry Potter. So our book fair was all things Harry Potter, and we had a lot of fun activities for the students to do at the book fair. And the families come out for that, and then naturally they're going to buy the books too. Another thing we started last summer is we started opening up our school library. A lot of our families do visit our public library, but we have some kids that maybe they're intimidated by that or they want to read a certain particular book and it's really popular and it's always checked out of the public library. So we opened the library up, I think, four or five times last summer for students to come and check out and they could check out whatever they wanted and They got to keep them all summer and just made sure they were returned by the end of summer. Another thing that we started this year, every Friday we draw 35 to 40 names and they get to come to the library and pick out a free book to take home to put in their personal home library. And that has been really a big deal. The kids are really excited about it. They are pumped up on Friday mornings to listen and see who's going to get their free book Friday book and So those are just a couple of the ways we try to get the books in their hands. That's terrific, all of it. Mm -hmm. What led you initially to sign up for the Scholastic Summer Reading Challenge? Well, the first time that I did the Summer Reading Challenge, I was actually at a middle school. And the school is a 6th, 7th, and 8th grade middle school. And I think it was probably the first year that y'all did the Scholastic Summer Reading Challenge. And I saw a lot of potential and I saw something in the challenge that can build camaraderie within the school and, you know, build camaraderie around something that's really important, which is literacy. And so when I came here to the elementary school to take over in this library, they didn't have any summer reading program per se. Um, Teachers didn't even send home any suggested book lists for the summer. They're just really, the summer reading just didn't exist pretty much. So um, I presented the idea to my principal and she loved it. And so we've been doing it ever since, basically. And have you seen a big difference in your students? Oh, yes. These things really do take time. You know, the first year, two, three years, even that you do something, you really have to give it a couple years because, it takes that long for people to really understand, number one, how important it is, and to really make it a habit and a part of the school 
culture. Summer reading was not part of our school culture. And so it took several years to get people, you know, teachers, um, you know, the first year or two, the teachers were just kind of like, okay, this is something Ms. Boren's doing. They didn't really take ownership of it. And so I've had to look for ways to get them involved and get them excited about it. And I serve 850 students, so I can only be a cheerleader so much. It really does take the whole faculty and the whole school to get behind something to really impress upon students and our parents how important it is and to get them excited about it. So um, all that all that takes time, building relationships with those teachers and the faculty and the parents and But now it's just something we do and it's something everybody knows we're doing. One of the really neat things that also happened last year, and I'm really excited about this year, the First Lady of Tennessee, Chrissy Haslam, literacy has been very much at the forefront of the work that she's done. Last year, she started a statewide reading competition and the students They can read whatever they want, but they count the minutes or hours that they're reading. Well, we had, since we participate in this classic summer reading challenge, our students naturally could just, you know, it was seamless with their program. So we had three students last year that, that were in the top 100 readers in the state of Tennessee. And Governor Haslam and uh, First Lady Chrissy Haslam, they invite the top 100 readers to the Capitol to have dinner and meet them. And that was a really big deal for our students. So the Scholastic Summer Reading Challenge, I, you know, definitely want my students to participate, but it really has been a stepping stone to a lot of other programs and ways for our students to get involved in summer reading, not just here in Collierville, but really statewide. That is such a great story. So inspiring. Mm -hmm. Jennifer, do you have any book recs for our young readers out there? Yes, I do. Um, The first book is a picture book by Gaia Cornwall. It's called Jabari Jumps. And before you head out to the swimming pool this summer, you need to pick up this book. It's perfect for kindergarten, first, second grade. And it's all about this young boy, Jabari, and he is afraid to jump off the high dive. And so his father gives him some words of encouragement. It's really not just about jumping off the high dive. It's really about fears that kids have and how to overcome them and doing things when they're ready to do them and doing things on their time. So That's my favorite new read. I've shared it with several of my classes. And by the end of the book, all the kids are like, jump, Jabari, jump. (laughs) (laughs) They're like cheering them on. So I love it. One of the fun books, if you have a kid who really loves nonfiction, and we have a lot of students who they really just want to read nonfiction. One of my favorite newer books is called Two Truths and a Lie. And it is by Amy Joan Paquette and Lorianne Thompson. And I believe they were actually librarians at one point in time. But the book, every chapter has three stories. And the students have to read and figure out which story is true and which are lies. And I think in the world we're living in of alternative facts and fake news and trying to teach our students to be critical thinkers and really think about their sources and the information and tech age that we're living in. This is a really great read. And it's a lot of fun. The stories are 
kind of remind me of like Ripley's Believe It or Not or something. So if you have any kids that love nonfiction, I definitely point them there. One of the books I'd recommend for middle school that I'm really enjoyed is called The Seventh Most Important Thing by Shelley Pearsall and Nick Podell. And it's about a young boy, Arthur, he's 13. And the book opens and he has thrown a brick at a junk man. Uh, There's a man that wanders around town collecting junk from people's trash. He's homeless and Arthur throws a brick at him and hurts him. And so it's really a book about not judging people by what we see on the surface and that there really is more to people than what you see. And it's it's just really beautifully written. It's about redemption. And I think it's an important book for our middle schoolers to read. So those are just a couple of my summer books I'd recommend. Those are terrific. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Now we'll hear from some of Jennifer's students at Bailey Station Elementary School. My name is Selena Shetty, and I'm in first grade. Well, it's very nice to talk with you. We wanted to know a little bit about your experiences reading. What do you like the most about reading? I really like it because it helps me get more knowledge and books are my best friends. I love to hear that. Do you have any favorite books you want to tell our listeners about? Yes. So um, I like the weird school books and um, I like the Julian Marsalton books and Ginny B. Jones. So I pretty much really like to read all the fiction books. Oh, that's great. Now, what are you looking forward to reading over the summer? Well, I'm looking forward to read um, the Big Nate books, Geronimo, Geronimo Stilton, and more, um, and a few nonfiction. Oh, that's wonderful. Are there any topics in nonfiction that you like? Well, it's like about um, the animals and the human body. Thank you so much for talking with us. Have fun reading this summer. Hello. Hello. What's your name? Finn. Finn? What's your last name? Coffee. How old are you, Finn? Eleven. Eleven. And could you tell our listeners what you like the most about reading? I like reading because it helps me obtain knowledge faster. And what are some of your favorite subjects or your favorite things to read about? I like reading about history and fiction. Do you have a favorite author or a favorite book series? A favorite author is Rick Rorden, I think is how you say it. And uh, a favorite series is Guts and Glory. Guts and Glory. I don't know that one. Could you tell us about it? It's basically a series of about a certain time in history. Like there's one about the Civil War, the Revolutionary War, the Viking Ages, and World War II and World War One. Ooh, I'm going to check that out. That sounds good. When you read over the summer, do you have a favorite time of day or a favorite place you like to read? I like reading around the afternoon right after after lunch in my beanbag chair. Oh, I like to hear that. Well, thanks so much for talking with us, Finn. Happy reading. You too. Uh, I'm Olivia Aston Huggins, and I'm in third grade. Tell us what you like the most about reading, Olivia. Uh, It's really fun for me because I like reading a lot because 
my mom sometimes challenge me challenges me and if I get it I get a prize oh really now what are some of your favorite books or do you have any favorite authors my favorite book is the candy makers it's about um, different point of views from kids who are trying to make the best candy and some are trying to steal a secret ingredient <laughs> oh my goodness that does sound like a good read and do you like reading over the summer? Yes, ma'am. What are the best times of day to read when you're on summer vacation? Uh, I like reading in my hammock a lot in the middle of the day. Uh, you're talking to Hitesh Katakanemi. Hitesh, it's nice to meet you over the phone. You too. What grade are you in? I'm in fifth grade. Fifth grade. Could you tell us about some of your favorite books? Yeah, one of my favorite books, it's well, it's a series, is Eddie Red, and it's about a mystery. It's a mystery book, and he has a, he has a talent of um, uh, drawing of anybody's face when he sees it the first time, and he uh, solves cases. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. What do you like the most about reading? Well, it helps me more with knowledge and helps me read more too and um it uh passes time too if i have nothing to do do you have a favorite place that you like to read just on my couch and how does it feel when you're reading a good book like what is it what's the feeling like for you it feels very cool and like it makes me feel really nice oh. it feels cool well that's wonderful thanks so much for talking with us Thank you, too. You're welcome. Now, here's Ansel Sanders to tell us about Make Summer Count and the amazing results that the Scholastic Education Research and Validation Team found in Greenville. Hi, Ansel. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Suzanne. I appreciate it. We're delighted to be talking with you today about a subject that's, of course, near and dear to our hearts, summer reading. So for starters, could you tell us a little bit about public education partners and how you work with schools to help further learning and summer reading? Public Education Partners is an education fund here in Greenville, South Carolina. We were established in 1985 by a few business leaders here who wanted to set up an entity that could really be a vessel through which the community could engage in and invest in and advocate for public education in the context of Greenville. And that's particularly important in our context here because Greenville County Schools is a very large school district. We're the largest in the state of South Carolina by far. We have uh, over 75,000 students here. That means 6,000 teachers and over 100 schools and career centers. So it is, it is large on a statewide scale, and, and it's large on a national scale, too. It's 44th largest in the country. So given kind of its size um, and, and, and given kind of the diversity of students here, you know, of those 75,000, uh, 51.8% of those students are eligible for free and reduced meals, which of course is a measure of poverty that, that districts and schools often use. Because of its size and because of its, its diversity, we know that a, that a single school district like this has a tough time trying to do it all for all kids. 
And, and our organization partners with Greenville County Schools very closely to identify those challenges that are getting in the way of student achievement and success and growth. And we engage our community to invest in research-based solutions and innovations that work and can move the needle on those challenges that we identify. And of course, literacy is so incredibly important, uh, means so much to our teachers and our schools and of course our community. And we know the ongoing literacy growth of all students really becomes a challenge over the summer months. So this was an opportunity uh, for us and our school district and our community to really come together and say, if we know that thousands of our students are adversely affected by the summer reading loss phenomenon, then we need to do something about it. And for the past number of years, we at Public Ed Partners have partnered with our district and engaged our community to, to really help eliminate that summer reading loss. All right. So that's a lot. Tell us exactly how you did that. So one thing I'll also add is that we, we, we kind of started out this focus on literacy and reading here at Public Ed Partners by working with schools to ensure our, our teachers uh, had the proper kind of professional development, access to classroom libraries that would really ensure that that uh, instruction and resources were accessible from a literacy perspective during the school day. Well, as we as we focused on that, we also began to shift our attention to those out of school hours, those out of school months, particularly during the summer, when really our our, our schools are not open. You know, our teachers are not teaching. And so by identifying uh, this, this opportunity for, for us to engage where really a school is in position to, uh, is in position to engage over the summer months, we created a program called Make Summer Count. And the goal of Make Summer Count is pretty simple. It's to ensure that we eliminate that summer reading slide, that loss, and maintain those reading levels for all of our students over the summer months. And so when we decided to work with our schools and our district and our community to implement Make Summer Count, we also said, well, what does Make Summer Count entail? What does research actually show uh, helps reading levels over the summer? And really, there, there are two interventions that really jump out. One is access to books in the home. And not just any books, but it's books that kids want. It's new books. It's books that are just right books, meaning rigorous, but not way above or way below their grade level. It means high interest books. So, and it also means engagement of families in literacy and reading related behaviors occurring in the home. So uh, here at Public Ed Partners, we said, all right, if we know the problem and we know what works, Make Summer Count is going to actually create home libraries and we're gonna engage families in literacy activities. And those are the core components of Make Summer Count. And since really 2014, we've been working with schools to actually implement here in Greenville. How do you help parents help their children find books that are just right for them or that they really will enjoy? So we work with 29 elementary schools here in Greenville County School. And in each of those 29 schools, uh, at least half of the students are eligible for free and reduced meals. So we know we're targeting uh, 
the student populations that are most adversely affected by the summer reading slide. And every spring, each of those, each of the students at those 29 schools, and that's about 18,300 students, get to self-select 10 free, new, high quality, high interest, just right books uh, that will then be delivered to them uh, near the, the middle of May, at the end of May, for them to take home for, to build home libraries and for summer reading. So that's a really intentional process that occurs at scale, again, across 29 schools. Uh, and it happens each spring. Teachers work very closely with, with each of their students to help the students self-select those books. And it's through our partnership with Scholastic that students are able to self-select those, those 10 free new high-quality books. And the key here is, is not only just getting free books, it is about that self-selection. It's about getting the books that they actually want. So it's the, it's the Minecraft, it's the Diary of a Wimpy Kid, it's Captain Underpants, it's, it's books that kids actually want. As we speak, as a matter of fact, schools, all those schools right now are doing what we call book celebrations. This is the day when the books arrive, when each student's 10 books arrive in a package and they're delivered to the students. And it, it's, it's amazing. These schools get incredibly creative on how they deliver the books, how they kind of welcome the books to the school and distribute them to the students. They do all kinds of wonderful, amazing things uh, to get kids excited and ready for summer reading. Oh, that's so cool. And I know that you have family reading nights as well over the summer. We do, and, and that's the second component of Make Summer Count, because as, as we build the home libraries with these books, we then come back in the middle of the summer, and we invite families back uh, to the school between June and July to, to participate in a family reading night. And, and the principals of the schools have really gotten on board, and they're, they're a huge help in rallying the families and getting them to come back. And at the family reading night, uh, families get to participate in a read aloud activity. So we here at PEP, we recruit volunteers from the community. We train them in uh, read aloud strategies that we want them to then model and share with small groups of families using a pre-selected book and pre-selected specific read aloud strategies. The idea is that we are modeling those behaviors, those attitudes, those strategies with really the adults who participate. Of course, it's, it's a lot of fun for the kids. They, they get a few more books when they come. They get to be read to. It's a fun time. But the idea is to really influence the adult behaviors so then those behaviors then translate back into the home. And so we do those again at all the Make Summer Count schools. That's great. What are some of the reactions you've seen from families, from parents? What what have they told you about these events and how they've helped them? It's 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 amazing. We have both anecdotal and kind of survey related data that really show the impact of the family reading nights. I mean, Scholastic conducted a research study on Make Summer Count and, and one of the things that we really found of the family reading nights was 100% of families agree that reading books over the summer would help their children during the school year. I mean, it is, this is, these are results and feedback that, that 
were incredibly affirming to this, not to mention, I mean, even outside of the kind of the, the, the data itself, um, the, the stories that families would tell us about what they're now doing or what they're going to do at home with the books and with the skills that they've, that they've, um, that they've received. There's one great story that I always remember. It was from one of our elementary schools. And there was a, a young student who was dressed up as a princess who showed up at her school's family reading night, her mom. Uh, I asked her, you know, why she was dressed up. And she said it was her birthday. And she was there to receive her presence that she wanted the most. And that was books and to read with her mother. And her mother explained that access to books in the home was tough for them for financial reasons. And thus, while she wanted to engage around literacy and reading with her family, unfortunately, that didn't happen a lot. So she valued this family reading night, which, again, the whole concept sounds pretty simple, but it goes such a long way in assisting our more vulnerable students and their families. So that story will it will be imprinted on my mind and is kind of the, the fire in the belly that keeps us going. Yeah. For parents like that who really are struggling, you know, in many ways, how do you encourage them and help reinforce their efforts to help their children? At the family reading night, of course, we really structure that time fairly intentionally. The volunteers have a, have a small group, so it's an intimate group with whom they can interact. This summer, we're allowing the families to then really not just listen and hear the strategies in action, but then practice them themselves. That's something we're really excited about. And the other thing, too, is we, we provide them materials to take home as well, not just additional books. We also give them a copy of the book that the volunteers read for the read aloud. Uh, but we also send them home that have written material around the strategies that we use, principals and teachers do follow-up calls with families as well. And then when they get back to school, they're able to really pick up from, from where was left off in terms of what the teacher then does in the classroom. A lot of these real loud strategies occur each and every day in the classroom. So we're a continuation of that. In terms of the Make Summer Count study, what are some of the most surprising findings for you? We've done this for two consecutive years, the Make Summer Count research study. And really 2017, our more, our more recent Make Summer Count research study, did focus on really the attitudes and behaviors of both students and their families towards reading. We found that students, you know, 79% of participating students agreed they were better readers in the fall because of the summer reading that they experienced through Make Summer Count. 95% of families agreed that family reading nights were valuable in learning how to support their children's reading. 96% of families said the free books contributed to their children reading more over the summer. And then the biggie, which we really focused on in 2016, was that 78% of students in grades three through five maintain or increase their reading level from spring to fall in 2016. So while we at PEP and, and specifically through Make Summer Count, we're not saying that Make Summer Count is a silver bullet to eliminating the summer reading slot. We know that there are many other variables to consider. We know that through this research study that we're helping uh, maintain those reading levels. And that's that's incredibly exciting. And I think validating for all of the, the effort 
an investment that our community and our team and my board and the schools and our, our school district has made in Make Summer Count. The district, it seems, is lucky to have the business community behind them, helping them. I wonder what advice you would have for other districts on how, you know, they can involve the entire community in getting students reading over the summer. Sure. I would have to provide a couple of pieces of advice. And one is that when we tell the story about Make Summer Count, oftentimes districts themselves say, you know what, we're going to do this ourselves. We are going to actually take on the capacity and investment in ensuring that students build home libraries and families engage in reading activities over the summer. So it doesn't necessarily have to come from an entity like a public ed partners. Many communities do have local education funds or foundations that I'm sure would be willing to take on this work, but it doesn't have to be driven only by an organization like ours. I think that's one thing. It could be a local church or faith-based institution. It could be another nonprofit. It could be the United Way, perhaps, in, in, in different communities. But I think the point is, is that this has to be a priority. And, and, and whatever entity that is, whether it's a single school, a school district, a local ed fund, a United Way of the world, or, or a faith-based institution, there's an opportunity here to replicate this as a model. But the other thing I'd say is we're a huge district. We're working at 29 schools, but we only started with one. <laughs> Back in 2014, we started with one elementary school. And because of the success that we found there, we began to scale it up every year. So my advice is that while this is an urgent opportunity to focus on summer literacy, you should go to go slow to go fast, as we like to say. Start small, get some great findings, some quick wins with a ready elementary schools ready to partner with you and leverage that to scale. The, the other piece of advice I'd give is now that we have some good tangible results the business community sees this as, as a very worthwhile investment that has some clear returns on investment, for lack of a better phrase. We set out to help maintain those summer reading levels or eliminate the summer slide, and we're showing that the interventions that are part of Make Summer Count are really doing that. That's another piece of advice is be clear about why this is a good return on investment and how you're going to measure toward your goals. And that becomes a really compelling case for a business or an individual or a foundation to invest in an effort like this. I just wondered why literacy and, and reading are so important to you. How did you get involved in this work? I was an eighth grade English language arts teacher. I taught in an urban setting. My time in the classroom, one of the things that, that I was really taken off guard by really initially during my first couple of years of teaching was that the incoming eighth graders into my class would show up and we had to do some some serious kicking kicking off of the rust when it came to uh, reading and literacy skills because of the the rust that had been built up over the summer and you think about it I mean they're in eighth grade, and a lot of the, the the summer reading loss phenomena had been compounded over the years, and research validates this as well. So it's it's kind of getting worse the older that they got and the older grades that they went into. So by the time they got to me, a lot of my eighth graders 
couple months behind, I re- we really had to work hard to both kick off that rust while ensuring we remained at the pace we needed to in our eighth grade curriculum. Well, that's terrific. I really congratulate you. Such a successful program. And we're so happy to have the opportunity to talk with you. And we hope you'll, ins- you'll inspire other educators. Thank you very much, Suzanne. May I close with a quick story, a letter that we got recently from a, a fifth grader? You certainly I think can. This will really capture things. <laughs> we get uh, we get a lot of letters and thank you cards from schools and from kids, and this one is one that I that I keep on my bulletin board in my office. So it says, "Dear Public Education Partners, all I've got to say is thank you." Uh, This is my last year at my elementary school, and now I've got books to read to my brother. Knowing that I'm an inspiration to his education really empowers me to learn more. I like my books so much, I sneak them to bed after rocking Levi to sleep. I've been growing a lot in vocabulary. What used to be an 89% is now a 100%. You are my heroes. That is from uh, a young man named Taylor, uh, who was in the fifth grade when he wrote this. A lot jumps out to me here, but one of the things is, is that connection to his younger brother. Yes. And so something like Make Summer Count is now almost this kind of two-generation intervention that is now paying off for future students, his, his, his little brother in this example. So... It's something that uh, I think captures the spirit, the essence, and the impact of Make Summer Count. That is such a wonderful point. We always think about adults helping children, but really kids helping other kids is another great way to foster learning and, and reading. We're seeing more and more of, of these types of letters. And we see a lot of that at family reading nights, too. It's the entire family. Um, infants all the way up to to high school students and 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 everywhere in between that's great well thank you so much ansel we really appreciate your time my pleasure suzanne thank you so much for having me thanks again to our guests for joining us and thank you for listening to learn more about make summer count and to access summer reading resources check the show notes or go to scholasticreads.com. Don't miss an episode of Scholastic Reads. Find us and subscribe in your favorite podcast app, and each episode will automatically be delivered to your phone. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.